Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, This morning I woke up and uh, there's a lot to complain about, but I chose joy this morning. I don't know about you in, in your life, but is there anybody in, in this room or even online right now that woke up and chooses to rejoice and chooses to be glad? Man, we have so much to be thankful for. We are still, as my father would say, we're in the land of the living. We still have breath in our body and everything may not be as you want it to be, but thank God that God has given us another chance. He's given us another day to fix what we messed up yesterday. He's given us another day to represent him. And man, I'm grateful. Shout out to the worship team. Thankful for them leading us week in and week out. Shout out to Gio and Gabe. I did not bring a picture. I don't walk around with a picture that big. I don't even know where he carries that in his wallet, in his pocket. I don't know, but clearly Gabe loves his wife. Uh, It's a great Sunday to be logged on because it is a Sunday that we get to acknowledge our first, not first time visitors, our uh, new members, our covenant community members. A few times a year, we, we, uh, we, we go through a class. It's a new members class and it's kind of an intensive and we try to, you know, put a lot into a few hours, but we try to talk a little bit about what the church is. And man, I'm so grateful that every class that we have people are engaged people are joining the church you know it is very abnormal for you to trust in jesus and not be connected to a part of his body that lone ranger christianity does not work it it, it might feel fulfilling for a season but it doesn't help your spiritual growth and i think you know we underestimate the spiritual formation that the church really aids in in terms of helping you to grow in your faith and so we get to welcome that new group of covenant community members today and if we were in service we would extend to them the right hand of fellowship it is galatians chapter five or chapter two i should say verse nine that says when james cephas and john who seemed to be pillars perceived that grace was given to me they extended to me the right hand of fellowship and so if you guys were in here and we were post-pandemic or pre-pandemic we would give you the right hand of fellowship uh, but today i just want to acknowledge you Whenever anyone enters into a relationship with God, they're actually entering into two relationships. The first relationship that they're entering into, of course, is a vertical one, and that is with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But the second relationship they're entering into is to journey along this life with his body. Again, it doesn't make sense that you're connected to God vertically, but horizontally you're not connected to a local body where you were where you were growing and you were giving and you were receiving. And so the covenant community membership really is an official recognition of you joining the church. The New Testament is full of examples of church membership. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 to 47 shows that a numerical record was kept of those joining the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 3 to 16 shows that a record was kept of the widows that were inside the church. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 shows that elders and pastors will be held accountable for those under their pastoral care. You don't know who's under your pastoral care unless there is some type of covenant or some type of membership. So on behalf of all of Epiphany 
uh, church here in Brooklyn, on behalf of our elders, which is Pastor Timmy and I, on behalf of all of our deacons, on behalf of my wife, we do welcome you as full-fledged members here at Epiphany Church. Again, if you were here, we would line you up and we'd turn you around so that your brothers and sisters could see you. But since we are virtual, we'll do it this way. We'll receive you with the only uh, greeting that is suitable for a believer to a believer, and that is grace and peace. Those of you who are in the room, if you could just lift up your voice and greet our new members by saying grace and peace. Those of you who are online, won't you just go ahead and type in grace and peace. We are excited that you are part of the body, and I am excited to pastor you through this journey. All right, I am eager to preach the word. Let's do it. I want to draw your attention back to the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 15. We are making good traction, y'all. I know it feels like we've been in this book forever. In fact, when I finished the book, I want a t-shirt, Josh, that, that literally says, spent two years in Romans. Not just Romans, spent two years in Romans. Somebody make me that, make sure the graphics is nice and, and good quality t-shirt, I should say. All right. Well, we're virtually back at it again. Um, I know worship just isn't the same and, and, and preaching just isn't the same, you know, going camera to, to, to your homes or your laptops or your devices. But uh, nevertheless, I'm grateful, man. I, I'm, as I said, I'm choosing joy. I'm grateful for the ability for us to be able to engage in the word of God today and do so through technology. Would you share this link with somebody? Let them know that we're live. Uh, if you're on YouTube, won't you go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel? Go ahead and click that bell so that you can get notifications. Let me just go through the whole thing. If you don't follow us on Facebook and on Instagram, I'm not really sure why you're playing games. Won't you go ahead and give us a little love on, on the social media sites uh, as we try our best to bring you gospel-centered content. We, we not, we, we don't, our desire isn't to just bring you fluff. We want to bring you meat, which is found in the word of God. Speaking of the word of God, why don't you pick me up in verse 1. Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. Make note of this phrase, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live with such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice, glorifying God, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. In other words, he's a covenant-keeping God, the covenant he made with Israel. He is going to fulfill it. But watch this. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written therefore I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name and again it is said rejoice O Gentiles with his people and again praise the Lord O Gentiles and let all the people extol him and again Isaiah says the root of Jesse Jesse will come even he who ri arises to rule the Gentiles 
in him were the Gentiles hope. Last verse, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I want to preach today from the topic entitled how to deal with our differences, how to deal with our differences. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, you've been faithful to meet us week after week. You've never, ever, ever, ever left me in this moment by myself. I would make a mess of things. But Father, every time I stand before your people, oh God, it is through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray, oh God, that you would use my thoughts today. I pray that you would use my mouth today to be an instrument for your glory. I don't just pray for my ability to preach, but I pray for our receptivity to your word that we would receive it oh god not as just an informational dump not as not not as just some information that's transferred but father that we would receive it and walk away and say how can i apply this word to my life and so father would the word of god do what it always does and that sanctify us that sharpen us do spiritual surgery on us today. Father, we, I will be honest that there are relationships in our life that are just dysfunctional. Some of the closest relationships in our life, some family members we ain't talked to in years, some friends we cut off at the top of the year because we knew we just couldn't do them in 2021. And Father, what would you do some patchwork today? Help us to understand how, how are we to live with our differences? Pray that Paul's words, oh God, would be truthfulness to us today. Pray that I wouldn't deviate from your word today, but that I would preach everything that you intended for the church at Rome today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Someone in this room just say, how do we deal with our differences? I'll be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't like conflict. I don't like tension. I, I don't like bad vibes. I don't like arguing. Um, and and it, it, it seems to me, I, I know that this isn't realistic, but it seems, you know, I much prefer to get along with people. And it seems like one of the ways we would all get along is if we were all the exact same. If we had the same personalities, the same makeup, the same worldviews that, you know, we, we voted the same, we, we thought the same. It seems like we, we would have less conflict because it is our differences that account for our disagreements. But here's the reality. We're not the same. We are all vastly different. We weren't, we weren't raised the same. We have different ideas. We come to the table with different perspectives and different values. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I argue with somebody or we're going back and forth, 99% of the time, I think I'm right. When I argue with Ty, 99% of the time, I think I'm right. 99% of the time, she thinks she's right. I still feel like I'm right. I think the Lord will reveal it to her as the time goes on. But the reality is... Most of the time when we are encountering people with a conflict, we're not seeking to understand them. Let's be honest. We're trying to convert them to our way of thinking. And in the, conflicts of con in, in the process of trying to convert them to our way of thinking, conflict arises. Tension arises because God has made us different. And when he made us different, he did not make a mistake. 
When he made it, the Bible says in, in, in Psalms chapter 139, the Bible tells us that we are uniquely made, that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. When God wove you together in your mother's womb, he put together a, a unique person that is different than the next person, so much so that we're not even the same as our siblings. You, you would think that we have the same personality. We were brought up in the same house. You know, we, 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 we were taught the same values, but then we grow up and we get exposed to different things. And so here's, here's the question. How do we do life with people who are vastly different than us? I'm, I'm talking about the relationships, issues. I'm talking about marital problems and family squabbles and church community tension. All of us deal with tension. And so how do we go through life? Well, I'm glad we arrive at a passage today where Paul is going to help us to understand how to deal with our differences. Now, now y'all know me. I, it's, I won't be able to sleep tonight if we parachute into Romans chapter 15 and we don't give some type of context to where we are. In, in the church of Rome right now, both Jews and Greeks are, are both getting converted at a fast pace. And it's amazing. You know, you would think that that is, that is great. You would think that that is amazing. But one of the things that we fail to understand is the tension between Jews and Greek. In fact, when we read the passage today, especially verses eight and nine, where it talked about Jews and it talked about Greeks or it talked about Gentiles, one of the things that it misses is the depth of the historical friction between the two. They didn't like each other. And let me, let me say it this way. Before they met Christ, they hated each other. They, they didn't talk to each other. They didn't look at, they didn't, they didn't socialize with each other, other. But after meeting Jesus, they still had issues. You, you would think that when they met Jesus, they would resolve all of their conflict. But Paul writes entire chapters on how the Jews and the Gentiles were supposed to get along. Read Acts chapter 15. They have to, their issues were so bad that they had to bring them up before the Jerusalem council. I mean, entire chapters Paul had to deal with the conflict of Jews and Gentiles. And they normally had conflict over what day to worship on. Last week we saw they had conflict over dietary restrictions. They had, had conflict in the book of Acts over circumcision. And Paul has devoted so many chapters to helping them reconcile. And this really should help you to understand that just because you met Jesus doesn't mean that your relationship issues ends. Yes, yes, Jesus helps us with our relationship issues, but let's be honest, just because I gave my life to the Lord and I got up in the middle of service and I said, excuse me, 15 times and came down to the altar and gave my life to the Lord. When you walk back to your seat, you still got relationship issues all around you. And the question is, how do we deal with them? Here, here's what you should do. You should expect tension. I hate to say it, but, but you should expect some type of pushback and friction in all of your relationships because we are sinful people. And God, yes, God has redeemed us from the penalty of sin, but we're still in the presence of sin. And because we're still in the presence of sin, we got issues in our relationships. And so Paul is going to help us this morning, and, and, and he, he's, he's going to look at the, the, the relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome, but don't get it twisted. Yes, this is Rome, but this is still very relevant for us today. This is relevant for our local church. This is relevant for your personal life. This is relevant for your family issues. Though There is somebody that's logged on right now, and you are having a hard time in your marriage 
This passage can help you with your marriage. And so Paul's going to say, here, there's a couple of things that you have to do, really three things that happen in the context of relationships that I think Paul can help us. Number one, watch this. He, he tells us the first thing we should do. It's in verse one. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Watch the example he gives. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul opens up our text today and Paul says, please don't please yourself. Paul right now is speaking of living a selfless life. Paul right now is, is helping us to understand that you cannot Grow in your relationship tension if you're always selfish. And let me help you. It is natural to be selfish. Don't, don't you for one moment think to yourself that you are not a selfish human being. If you are born of a woman, you are selfish. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible will tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Christ died that those who live may no longer live for themselves. In other words, he classified the DNA of all humanity as selfish. Every, every one of us have selfish tendencies. This is why you don't have to teach the child to grab the toy and say, mine, it is inherited in him. It is passed down from his father to, hit, to the next generation and the next generation going all the way back to the selfishness of Adam and Eve. This thing is it's inherited that there is no way you can get around it. We are all selfish and we're all striving for a life of selflessness, self selflessness. And so you, you can't meet Jesus. You got to understand this. You can't meet Jesus and then walk away and maintain being selfish. But the more this is part of the sanctification process, this is part of spiritual maturity Spiritual maturity means I day by day die to myself and I start to think about others more and more. So he says, listen, don't please yourself. Let me give you, let me tell you what you do. You need to please your neighbor. You need to build up your neighbors in areas where you thought that uh, you, 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 you were selfless. Be honest with us. Let, let's be honest. We are selfish. There are decisions that we make that we only make thinking of ourselves. We don't think about how it impacts others. The way we spend our money. Do you know that your money, your bank account is an x-ray to your heart? Yeah. Your, your, your bank account shows me how selfish you are. If you look, don't look long. Just look at the last month. Just, just do inventory. This week, go on your bank account online and look at your spending habits over the last month. And whatever somebody like, well, I, I'm spending on my bills all the time. Outside of bills, outside of taxes, outside of debt, outside of those things, that, that extra money that you have, where does it go? Because that really tells me where you are in terms of your selfishness. And so when you meet Christ, everything should change. But I want to be careful here because what Paul is not explaining here is when he says, don't please yourself, but make sure that you are pleasing others. He is not telling us to be people pleasers at the expense of your sanity. If somebody logged on right now, you spent your life trying to please everybody else. And that's not what Paul is talking about. That is not selflessness. That's stupidity. Paul, Paul is not saying walk around and deny yourself in such a way that you're always thinking about others and you're, you're burning yourself out. That, that's not what Paul is talking about. He, he is saying believers have an obligation to not 
only think about themselves, but we have an obligation to think about somebody else. Let each person please his neighbor. That, that doesn't mean I please my neighbor only. That means when I'm making a decision, I'm thinking about somebody else besides myself. And Paul must have knew that we were going to need some type of help and an example. And so he says, look, don't please yourself, please your neighbor. And I'm sure everybody in Rome was like, I don't even know what that means. And so he says, verse three, for Christ did not please himself. But Christ went on to say, the reproach, the, those who reproached you, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The prime example that Paul gives of living a selfless life is the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ, the creator, the sustainer, you got to understand that Colossians will tell me that all things were created through him and for him. Do you understand what that means? That means he's the agent of creation, but he's the goal of creation. That, that means he created everything, but the triune God looked around and realizes that it was created for this pinnacle that the person of Jesus Christ, it says all things were created through him and for him. And that Jesus decided that he would come down and live a selfless life. If there's anybody uh, in the history of the world and even in the history of the universe that deserved to be selfish is Jesus. But Jesus wasn't. He was selfless and he was sacrificial. Jesus didn't think of himself when he came down to earth, but he thought about someone else. What a great example that we have in Jesus. And one of the things that every believer in this room and those of you who are online, one of the things that we all have in common is that we are all striving, we should be all striving to look more like Jesus. That's the one thing every single believer has in common. Every day you wake up, you should be striving. God, how can I look more like your son? Shape me and mold me to look more like your son. Well, what did his son look like? Sacrificial. What did his, what did his son look like? Selfless. There's a verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It's really, I would call it the mission statement of God, of Christ where it says that the son of man didn't come to be served, but came to serve. And then that verse goes on to say, and give his life as a ransom. Can you imagine this? The one that I said is the agent and the, cre and the, and the, and the goal of creation came not to serve, uh, came not to be served, but to serve. Can you imagine that? that God in the flesh you know, one of the things that often rocks me about Christ coming to earth is, yes, I'm rocked by the fact that he came down and put on flesh. And I'm rocked by the fact that God in the, the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man, not 50, 50, 100 and 100. I'm, I'm amazed that he dwelled amongst people that he created and, and, and that he ate food that he created and that he breathed air that he created. Yes, I'm amazed at all of that stuff. But one of the things that rocks me in the gospel is that God got up on a cross. Yeah. That God in the flesh decided that I'm so selfless that I would die for my people. Let me ask you a question. What relationship do you know? When it comes to God, a, 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 a king and his servants, where the king dies for the servants. Every relationship I know, when it comes to uh, kingdoms and, 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 and monarchies, every one of them, the servant always dies for the king. Y'all yeah. remember, remember the time. That's one of my favorite videos. Y'all remember when Eddie Murphy was sitting on his throne? 
and, and, and he's sitting there and, and they're bringing all these acts before him and they're dancing and, and he, he goes like this where these servants are dying for the king. It is reverse in the gospel. The servants don't die for the king, but the king died for the servants. And this is what Jesus did when it says the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Jesus is our model of what it looks like to be sacrificial. Jesus is always our model of what it looks like to live a selfless life. And so Paul today tells us, don't please yourself. Please somebody else. Wait, wait, wait. But before you do that, let me give you an example. If you need an example of what it looks like to please others and not yourself, always look to Jesus. Always look to the cross. Pastor B, you got to help me today. You're, You're going a little bit. Heavy, you're using words like hypostatic union. You're going too deep in the. Just give me something practical. What are some practical ways that we can please others and not just please ourselves? You know, one of the ways I found, one of the ways I found that we can please others and not just ourselves is just in conversation. Because in conversation, I realize I feel like the greatest contribution to that conversation is me talking. When in reality, the greatest conversation, that's selfish. The greatest contribution to any conversation is listening, not talking. This week, I want you to do me a favor. Be cognizant of how much you talk in a conversation. If every time we got to talk about your kids and we got to talk about what's going on in your world and how the pandemic is treating you and you won't ever ask me how it's treating me, you're selfish. And I I realize in conversations, you know, there there are moments where I'm 80% listening to you. The other 20 percent, y'all know what we're doing. I'm planning my next thing I'm saying to the person. And, and, and really what that is, is that's not really listen. I cannot fully listen to you if I'm planning my next rebuttal to what you're saying. Selfishness. You know, another area that we could be more pleasing to others and not just pleasing to ourselves. I kind of mentioned it earlier, our financial stewardship, what you spend your money on. This, that, this week, I really want you to do that. I want you to go on and just look at, look at January. Just look at, look at this month. We're not done with Look at this month alone and see what you've spent your money on. I, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll say, Dag, I'm pleasing myself too much. There's no way you can fulfill verse one when all you're doing with your money is spending it on you. H- how is body else? You can see, I've, I live by this principle. I want to give my resources to something that will outlast me. Something that when I'm dead and gone, that thing is thriving because I contributed resources to it. Another way that we can make sure that we are pleasing others and not just ourselves is outserving each other. Every married couple should outserve their spouse. Can you imagine if I'm just outserving my wife and my wife is outserving me? Can you imagine the continuity between our relationship? Husbands, let me tell you something. You, you're doing foreplay wrong. Oh, we're going there today. Let, let, me, let me just go ahead and explain it to you. The greatest foreplay is a clean house. I guarantee you, let your wife come home and you done cleaned the dishes, you done swept the floor, you done took the trash out, and you just sit on the bed and say, good evening, and see what happens. I'm telling you, when you learn to sacrifice for your spouse, and I'm, I'm just, I want to help a marriage today, because I'm telling you, a lot of times when I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm doing post-marital counseling, they're talking through issues, the main thing I'm saying to myself is, oh, y'all not sacrificial to each other. Oh, oh that, that's what, this ain't that deep. 
You want to, listen, don't, don't hear me say don't do therapy. Please do therapy. I do it twice a month with my wife. Do therapy. But hear me, a lot of stuff that we're going, you can save your money if you just do a little bit of sacrifice for each other. Sacrifice. So the Bible says here, don't please yourself, but please another. And then he goes on to say, build them up. We're often trying to build our brand up. We're, we're, we're the greatest brand marketers for ourselves. How about we market somebody? How about we lift in esteem and honor somebody else? I want to outdo you with showing honor. I, I, I want to show people that you are, you are dope. And I don't always have to point to myself. I want to point to somebody else. So the Bible says here, look, this is what you do. Don't please yourself. Please, please your neighbor. He says, Christ didn't please himself. It is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Pick up verse 5 because here's what happened. If selflessness is present, please don't miss this. Harmony and unity is present. Every time. Don't, don't, don't miss this. If all of us are being selfless and we are sacrificing, sacrificing and we are thinking about somebody else, unity and harmony is always present. He'll say it this way in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live, here it is, in such harmony with one another. This is the Jews and the Gentiles that he's talking about living in harmony. Then he says in verse 6, that together you may, here's harmony, with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are, if we're all sacrificing, unity is the result of it. Don't, don't miss it. Church, Epiphany Church, hear me. If we're all outdoing each other and sacrificing, unity is always the byproduct of sacrifice and selflessness. Hear me in your marriage. If, if, if all you're doing is sacrificing for each other, unity is always the byproduct of it. And what births unity in a church is when we're all thinking about others and not just thinking about ourselves. But don't get it confused. Unity and, and like-mindedness doesn't mean that we won't have conflict. It, it, it doesn't mean that we'll agree on everything, but, but really what, what unity is, it, it means that I've learned to live with our disagreements and not sweep them under the rug, but actually deal with them. But because I want to I want to honor you and I want to serve you and you want to honor me and you want to serve me. Unity is always present. We've learned not to let our disagreements divide us. That's what harmony really is. That's what unity is. Can you imagine what would happen if we were all thinking about others and not just ourselves? Like in, in, in all of your relationships, outside of Epiphany Church, can you imagine in your family, if all of your family members were thinking about how, how can I outdo him with, with honor? And, and you were thinking, how can I outdo her with honor? Like, can you imagine the unity that would happen in those relationships? And so I'm talking about this type of unity will ease marital tension. If we can apply verses one to three, it, it will ease family issues. It, it will help us resolve our interpersonal relationships. It, it will help you with your relationships on your job. Try to seek the best for somebody else. The best of all, if, if we really apply verses one to three, God gets the glory. Did you see that, Chris? I, I don't know if you caught this in verse six where it says that you may with one voice. Here it is. Glorify God. Selflessness leads to unity. Unity leads to glorifying God. And God is always about his glory. You think he's about your comfort, boo-boo? He is about his glory. 
He's always after. He's always. And the problem is when we are in disagreements and we are not unified, we are robbing God of his glory. Did you realize that when you are bickering and you are back and forth with your husband and you are back and forth with your wife, you are robbing God of getting glory out of that relationship. I don't want a relationship to be a part of my life if I'm not glorifying God with it. And you think glorifying God is just doing devotionals. Yes, that's glorifying God. But do you realize not arguing is glorifying God? Do you realize being unified and like-minded in our mission and our purpose and our perspectives? Do you realize that that is glorifying God, the church that doesn't uh, get mad? We th- uh, we want, I want to be a church that doesn't get mad with each other over dumb stuff. I want to be a church that deals with our offense the way Matthew 18 will say, deal with them. If your brother sins against you, go to him. If he receives you, you've gained a brother. That's how you deal with issues. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't receive you, take two or three witnesses. Again, seeking unity. If he doesn't agree with that, take it to the church. Again, seeking unity. Always giving someone a chance. I want to be a church that doesn't have cliques. And, and everybody, you know, we can you only, you only, you know, we can only value you if you're a part of this club. The devil is a liar. Where is that at in scripture? In fact, the last time I saw clicks happening in the book of Galatians, Paul chewed everybody up, including leaders. Okay, so you know what that means? That leaders aren't exempt from showing disunity amongst the body. Paul looked at Peter and said, fool, what are you doing? When, 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 the, when, the, when, the, when the Jews come, then you don't eat with the Gentiles? What is that? Again, this is, Paul is trying to help a long uh, historical friction that happened between the two. I want to be a church that doesn't allow selfish ambition to get in the way. I want to be a church that Paul is striving for the church at Rome to be. A church that's unified. A church that's sacrificial. And ultimately, a church... That is serious about the glory of God. Okay, there's, there's one more way. I got one more today. There's one more way that I think Paul helps us with our tension and our relationships. But this one is a little bit underneath the, the text. Watch this. In verse number four, Paul says, For whatever was written in the former days, so he's talking about scripture, it was written for our instructions that, th- that through endurance and through the encouragement of, here it is, the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says, one of the ways that you can deal with your relationship tension is if we all have a collective commitment to the word of God. That we all are subscribing to reading our word and living our word. If we would just... If we would just apply verses one to three, Paul is like, look, this is how it works. I want to point you to scripture because if I can get everybody, you want, you want me to be in my scripture. Not to preach, but to have better relationships with, with others, with friends and family members. You want me to be committed, committed to my devotional time. You don't want me to skip a day of reading the word because skipping a day of reading the word is the day that I might cuss you out. The word keeps me from doing that. Do you realize that? That the word can keep, it can hold back your tongue. And so Paul, you know, one of the things I love about Paul is Paul is always pointing us back to the word. 
Paul is always pointing us back to the scriptures. In his, in, in his day, the New Testament uh, wasn't, com- the canon in the New Testament wasn't completed. And so he was pointing us back to the Old Testament every chance he could get. And he does so right here. And so Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, listen, I want to relieve some tension in your relationship. Here's how. Be committed to the word. We, we talk about cussing somebody out. Wouldn't it be wonderful if before you were about to cuss somebody out, you said, you know what? I got a commitment to the word. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. Mm. Well, what if we thought like that? Or, or, or we, we talked about, you know, uh, uh, relationships and premarital sex and relationships and the tension and, and, the, and the strife that that could bring. What if we thought to ourselves before we were about to engage in premarital sex, what if we said, Galatians chapter 5, 16, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What if we looked at our stewardship issues and before we spent all of our money on ourselves, and before we were stingy, we would quote stuff like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. What if we had a commitment to the word that the decisions we made, we filtered them through 66 books? What if we always thought about the word when we were about to do something and we were about to engage? And I'm convinced that it is the word of God that helps me to love people and honor people outside of the word of God. And my commitment to it, I'd be trifling. I don't know about you, but I, I, I know me. I would be stingy. I would be selfish. I would be often easily offended. I wouldn't know how to deal with tension. I'd probably give you the silent treatment and wouldn't talk to you instead of actually engaging in what the word of God says and how we are supposed to deal with our tension. But the word of God keeps me, keeps my relationships intact. Would you type that in the chat room for me? The word of God keeps my relationships intact. And so watch what Paul does. Paul doesn't just tell us in verse four to be committed to the scripture. He then models it for us. I don't know if you picked this up, but If you have a physical copy of a Bible, if you're in this room and you have one, I don't see Bibles, they're all devices. If you're at home and you got a physical copy, I see you, Chris. I see you, Chris. We got one. If you're at home, if you do me a favor and grab your Bible somewhere. And one of the things I like to do is I like to treat my Bible as like a working commentary. And so if if there's a New Testament writer that points us back to the Old Testament, I want to write in there where that verse is found. And then I'm going to go to that verse and I want to write in the New Testament where it's like, it's treating your Bible as a working concordance. Watch this. Verse nine, he quotes Psalm 18, verse 49. Would you write that next to verse nine? In verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Would you write that next to verse 10? Verse 11 He quotes Psalm 117, verse 1. Would you write that next to verse 11? And then verse 12, he quotes Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Would you write that next to verse number 12? Over and over again, back to back to back. Paul doesn't just say in verse 4, commit to scripture, but he shows you how much he's committed and he pops off verse after verse after verse after verse. Like, how dope would it be if we were that fluent in the word? How, how dope would it be if we, that, you know, Paul's ability in, in, in Romans 15 to just be able to spout out scriptures the way he does with confidence and with fluency means that he read his word and he knew his word. He had enough, he had enough Bible in him. And as your pastor, I can tell you one of the, 
One of the things I've been praying about for you, everybody that's logged on right now. In fact, I got up at 530 this morning and I had a late night last night. I got up at 530 this morning and prayed for your commitment in the word of God. I got up this morning and prayed that you would dust that Bible off, that you would that you would dust that devotional off, that you dust that journal off and that you would get back on it. And here's the thing. God ain't mad at you. He just want to talk to you. Get back on it. Get back on it. Get back in the word of God, because it is the word of God that helps us with our relationship issues. Since the beginning of this year, I've been praying for your spiritual discipline. I've been I've been praying for your commitment to the word of God. I've been praying that there wouldn't be a day that goes by that you wouldn't get into the word. Not a not a day. Some of us go weeks. We'll go the whole week and, you know, we we haven't opened up, you know, this week since Romans 14 which was last week's sermon. Like, I pray that every week we would bit by bit work our way through what the whole counsel of God's word because I promise you it is it's one of the things that helps you with your relationship issues. When you read the word of God, you, you got to understand it is helping you to fight off the enemy. When I read the word of God, I am actually fighting. When I commit to devotion, I am actually fighting. When you are committing to prayer, you are actually fighting. When you are committing to the spiritual discipline of fasting, you are actually fighting. How are you going to fight your enemy if you don't have weapons? How are you going to fight your enemy if you don't have a sword? We do that by getting into the word of God. And so Paul says, look, one of the ways that you can help your interpersonal relationships is by committing to the word of God. He says, for whatever is written in the former days were written for our instructions. And then it says that through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Some of you singles that are in relationships, don't you move forward and get serious unless he know how to read some word. Like that, that got to be the sexiest thing about him. What, what, do, do you know Hebrews at all? Do, like, do, like, and if he's really deep, like, you'll quote something from Leviticus. Ooh, that's, I mean, that, that'd do it right there. I'm telling you, you, and here's why, because places like Ephesians 5, young ladies, hear me, places like Ephesians 5 will tell husbands to bathe their wife in the word. How do you bathe your wife in the word when you don't know the word? Young men, don't you move forward and put a ring on it Unless she can know, unless she knows some scripture, unless she got some word in there. I know you like Pastor B, that's so old school. No, it's not. It ain't old school. It, I'm telling you, it helps our relationships. There's somebody logged on right now that you have conflicts in all your relationships. And you're looking around and you're like, I got conflicts because culture has conflicts. Republicans and Democrats can't get it together. We look in scriptures and Jews and, and Gentiles can't get it together. You look on social media and Takashi 69 and Meek Mill can't get it together or Lil Durk. My son, I just found out who Lil Durk was this week. Like, why every rapper in, in 2021 is named Lil something? I'm about to get my rap game on. I'm gonna be called Lil B. <laughs> that just Lil B. Just 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 leave it at that. All of our relationships need us to apply the word of God to them. All of our relationships need us to be sacrificial. All of our relationships need us to be selfless because then and only then will we be unified. And it is that uni unity that will bring God glory. Musicians, won't you guys come up? Worship team, y'all come up. Let's play something soft. I, 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 sometimes at this, more, this part of the sermon, I usually move it quickly. You know, let's transition to the next thing. 
But I really want you to get on your mind those relationships that are dysfunctional. Worship team, as you're coming, I want you to get those things on your mind. Some of you, it's, it's the closest relationships of marriages and family members. And some of you got relational tensions with your children. Some of you today should call somebody up and say, you know what? I, I, I know we haven't been on the best of terms. And, but I, I read verses one to three today and it told me to not to please myself, but to please you. And then it gave me that example of Jesus being sacrificial. So today I'm calling you because I'm going to make amends. Can you imagine? Like some, some of us just, you need to go ahead and let it go. Go ahead and forgive. It ain't worth it. If the, if the coronavirus has not taught us anything else, it should have taught us to don't take for granted the time we have. Time is now. Get, get, get those relationships together now. Because it's kingdom minded and God gets the glory when you do it. Father, I thank you for your word and how palatable it is. An ancient text is able to get at our filthy hearts. And I thank you. God, I thank you that Paul doesn't leave us without an example today. I thank you that Paul points us to Jesus to the centrality and the Christocentrism of Christ that he shows us that even in our relationships we often need to look to the work that Jesus has done on the cross because it is that sacrifice that we are striving for the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom it is that type of sacrifice I'm seeking after and father I'm a, I'll admit I ain't there I ain't there. Like Jesus doesn't die for people that loved him. Jesus dies for enemies. I ain't there. But Father, I want to strive to look more like Jesus. I, I, I want to strive to be the peacemaker in my family. I want to. I want to strive not to be the gossiper, but I want to strive to be the one that often seeks after unity and peace. Because I realize I learned today, oh God, that it is my unity that helps you to get the glory. We thank you, oh God, for your word. Pray that we would hide in our heart, that we would never sin against it. Pray that this word, we would think about it this week. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.